relationship with God had been turned to distance and separation. Blessing had become a curse. Fullness that man was experiencing in the garden had been turned to emptiness. Trust had been broken. Sin had been committed. Rebellion had been born. And sin and evil was upon the face of the earth. Satan had deceived mankind. And they had lost out with God. Cast out from the garden that God had specifically created for them to enjoy. And as we read in the book of Genesis chapter 3, God in His holiness and His justice and His righteousness, who cannot be in the presence of sin, who because of His justice must mete out punishment, God begins to hand out judgment and begins to pronounce His decree. Eve is told that her sorrow will be multiplied in childbearing. Adam is told that the ground is cursed because of him. And because of Adam's rebellion, both he and all the generations to come from him will need to live and work fighting against the curse that God had placed on the ground. And the snake is cursed above every other animal. God has created. And yet, in the middle of this, there is a message of hope. I think someone right here, right now, just let me just stop here for right now. Someone needs to understand that it doesn't matter how dark you think your life is. It doesn't matter how far you think you've fallen. It doesn't matter where you think you failed God. It doesn't matter what mistakes you've made in the past. It doesn't matter even if you feel that God Himself is pouring out judgment on your life. There will always be a message of hope. Somebody needs to shout amen right now. He said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. And between thy seed and her seed. And it is going to crush your head, Satan. And you are going to bruise his heel. What is God saying? He is saying two things. He's saying there is going to be enmity between Satan and every single man, woman, boy, and girl that has ever walked upon the face of this earth. Why? Because God is saying, I am going to put inside of mankind an understanding that once they had a relationship with the Almighty God and that there is a hunger and a desire in the heart of mankind to find something to fill the gap and that is the enmity that is between us and Satan it's not just between the church and Satan no it's between all of mankind because God is continually seeking and calling and searching and asking and reaching for the hungry and the hurting and the lost and some of them are going to find their way back into relationship with me Satan why Because I'm going to put enmity between you and them. They are never going to feel 100% comfortable 
when they're in your presence. That's the first thing. The second thing is he is saying that one day there will be a man who is born. A man that will be like every other man except in one respect. He will be without sin. And he is going to crush the opposition and the oppression of sin under his heels. He is going to take every chain. He is going to break every chain. He's going to set the captive free. He's going to lead them out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He's saying that day that there is someone who is coming even though you look like you've won right now I'm telling you right now Satan one day in the future you will not be able to stop it there is going to be a man who will reverse everything that you have done today Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 it says even so we When we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. For generation after generation after generation since this time in the garden, mankind was in slavery under the elements of the world. But it goes on to say, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them, to buy back them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Jesus Christ was made of a woman, made under the law, 100% man, 100% flesh and blood, just like you and me. But he was born without sin. Look at this. John chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John chapter 1 and verse 14 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth what does that mean for us today It means that even in the darkest of darkest of hours in our life, God still has a plan for His prized creation. Even when our life is falling apart, even when we feel lost, even when we don't know which way to turn, even when our lives are full of sin and rebellion, even when we have rejected God, He still has a plan to reach us because He still loves you and He still loves me. I might not know what the future holds but I know that there is victory through Jesus I might not understand why I keep failing but I know that there is victory through Jesus and that victory was won for you and for me on the cross of Calvary someone shout amen Amen. the final words of Jesus that John pens down in his gospel in John chapter 19 at verse 30 as Jesus is on the cross, as Jesus is facing rejection, as Jesus is taking on the sins of the whole world, as he is busy paying the price for you and for me. The Bible tells us that Jesus said, It is finished. 
I'm here to tell you today that Jesus was not talking about his career as a carpenter. Jesus was not talking about the miracles that he had done on earth. He wasn't talking about his time to walk among mankind. He wasn't talking even about the suffering on his cross. But Jesus was harking all the way back to the book of Generation in Genesis when he said that there will be a man in the future born of a woman who would pay the price and that he would crush the head of the serpent underneath his heel. That is what was finished on that day as Jesus finally paid the price on that cross. Metaphorically speaking, sin became crushed underneath the authority of Jesus Christ. What does it mean when it says the head of the serpent would be crushed? Let me tell you, the head represents authority. The head represents power. The head represents what is in charge. And here comes Jesus. Crunch, there's your authority, Satan. There's your power, Satan. There's the authority you had over the life of my creation. I have taken it back by my sacrifice. Someone needs to just shout hallelujah right now. He paid the price for you and for me. He's saying it is finished. The prophecy is complete. I have crushed the power of sin in people's lives. I have broken the chains that held my people captive. Yes, there was a price to pay. Yes, his heel was bruised. My Bible tells me he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquity. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. But on that cross 2,000 years ago, he ground the only power that Satan had ever held over mankind and defeated him for all of eternity. Victory was purchased. For you and for me. Someone shouted out, victory through Jesus. Someone needs to understand today that Jesus has paid the price for you. I'm reaching for someone today. Jesus has paid the price for you. You don't have to be bound by sin anymore. You don't have to live in condemnation anymore. The Bible tells us there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The devil would have you believe that you failed God for the last time. The devil would make you feel like there's no hope. The devil would make you feel like there's no way out of this. The devil would make you feel like the church is sitting in judgment of you. The devil will get in your ear and everything he's telling you is a lie because 2,000 years ago, the chains that the devil thought he had was broken. He's been crushed under the authority of Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell somebody today that there is victory through Jesus. I'm here to tell somebody today that the cross was enough. The sacrifice was sufficient. Don't listen to that old devil in your ear telling you you're not worth it. You're worth it. He paid the price. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10 tells us, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once For all. 
You see, so often we get into church and we live for God and we make a mistake and the devil gets in our head and says, you've blown it now. You've mucked it up now. Uh, uh, uh. My Bible tells me that the sacrifice of Jesus was enough for all. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Oh yes, I've got to repent. Yes, I've got to change my life. But you can't keep me out of the presence of God. He cannot keep you bound in your sin if you don't want to. He has no power. He has no authority. It's been crushed under the authority and the power of Jesus. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering all times, oft times, the same sacrifices. This is Hebrews chapter 10, which can never take away sin. He's talking back, next verse, verse 11. He's talking back about the time in the Old Testament when they would have sin in their life and they would bring a sacrificial lamb once a year on the Day of Atonement and they would kill it. And it would pay the price for the next year. And so each year, the children of Israel, the priest would bring that sacrifice. And it was never enough to take away all the sin forever. And each year it would roll on and it would roll on and it would roll on. Until Jesus tells us he's our great high priest. In the next verse it says, but this man, this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever. Some of us need to read that again. But this man, after he had offered how many sacrifices? One sacrifice. Just one payment was required. Just one confrontation with sin was all it needed for Jesus to say, I've won. I'm victorious. My people are free. One sacrifice for sin forever. It doesn't get much plainer than that, church. I'm reaching for somebody today who's sitting there feeling guilty about the mistakes they've made. The sacrifice was sufficient for you. You can come back to God. Don't listen. Don't listen to the lies of the devil. There's victory through Jesus. Somebody shout it out. There's victory through Jesus. There's victory through Jesus. There's hope through Jesus. There's salvation through Jesus. There's life through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the path of salvation. There is no other salvation in any other name under heaven given among men. Whereby we must be saved, Acts 4 and 12 says. There's victory. And it's with this victory in view. Paul writes to the church. In the book of Romans, in chapter 8, he says, And we know, <laughs> we know. I think some Christians need to get a well, we know attitude with the devil, you know, because the, the devil comes around and says, I know you failed God. I know you made a mistake. I know you walked out on God. I know you trashed your relationship. Well, you know what, devil? We know too. We know the sacrifice was enough. We know that Jesus paid the price. We know that we are covered by the blood. We know that we can be holy and righteous. And Paul writes, he says, we know. That all things work together for good. 
I don't care what the devil is in your ears whispering to you right now. I don't care if you're sitting here feeling like you're guilty, feeling like you're worthless, feeling like you're a failure. We know that all things work together for good. You just got to get back to God. You just got to come back to surrender. You just got to get back to the altar and say, God, I'm yours. And he's waiting. It's open for you. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. And brothers and sisters, you need to understand that we are called. You are called. We have been sanctified. We have been set apart. We have been delivered. We have been set free because God has a purpose and a plan for your life to make you a part of the body of Christ. We know. Moving on in Romans chapter 8, it says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Right back there, all the way back in the garden. On the darkest day of humanity, when sin was ruling in the hearts of man, when rebellion and wickedness was the order of the day, when mistakes had been made and failures had been caused, God was able to look forward into the future and to see that one day there would be a body of believers called the church and they were going to be sanctified and glorified, amen, predestined to be like Jesus in the image of the Son, the captain of our salvation, the book of Hebrews calls him. And God predestinated that church just to be like Jesus. I don't know if we understand what that means. Hallelujah. To be like Jesus. Jesus is the one who has the ability to crush the power and the authority of Satan over all of mankind. I am here to tell somebody today that there is victory in Jesus. You don't have to be bound by those chains of sin anymore. You don't have to be bound by those chains of addiction anymore. Because if you are living your life surrendered to God, you have the same power You have the same authority over the devil. There's victory through Jesus. Somebody shout it out. Victory through Jesus. There's victory through Jesus. Moreover, whom he did predestinate them, he also called. We are called, church. Called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Moreover, whom he did predestinate them, he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. Oh, this is awesome. Justified. The price that Jesus has paid was enough for the church to be declared righteous by God. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 27 says, It's a glorious church and not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's the church that Jesus has. Amen justified moreover whom he did predestinate them he also called and whom he called them he also justified and whom he justified them he also glorified now hold it right here glorified we've been called we've been sanctified we've been justified But we've not been glorified yet. That's coming later. But here's what the interesting thing is about the English language. See, when Paul wrote it, 
He put the suffix ed on the end of glorified. That means it's already happened. But we know it hasn't happened. So why? What does that mean? Let me tell you. God, who lives outside of time, who has no beginning and no end, He's seen the calling. He's seen sanctification. He's seen justification. And that's where we are. But here comes God. I'm going to the end of the book. Oh, look, the church is glorified back here. So as far as God is concerned, that's already the destination in God's mind. It's as good as done. It's as good as complete. It's as good as finished. And so the church is going to be victorious. There's victory through Jesus. No power in hell can resist the church. No devil can stop the work of God. No demon can make a child of God lose out on God. Why? Because there is victory through Jesus, not just in the past, not just in the present, but in the future as well. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. How can God know that? Oh, I'll tell you why. Because the power and the authority of Satan has been ground under his heel. There is nothing Satan can do against Jesus. He can't surprise him. He can't outsmart him. He can't better him. He can't make Jesus surprised. God knows the beginning from the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's got it all in his hand. There's victory through Jesus. That's why I'm not worried about the power of Satan. And after all of that, after all of that, is it any wonder that Paul sits back and goes, what can we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? If God is on our side, if God is the one who has all power, all authority in heaven and in earth, if the name of Jesus is as powerful as we are preaching that it is, what can we say against these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Someone shout, victory through Jesus. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything, Romans 8.33, to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died. And when that happened, there's no condemnation. Sin has been destroyed. The power of sin has been destroyed. Yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. There's victory through Jesus, church. There's victory through Jesus. Why don't we all stand? Can you go switch for Romans chapter 8, Paul closes the chapter out with these words. If the church is victorious, if there truly is victory through Jesus, 
if we know that all things work together for good. If we know that if God be for us, who can be against us? Paul closes out with this. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, there's victory through Jesus. There is nothing the devil can do to keep you away from Jesus unless you take that step. But as far as Jesus is concerned, he's already paid the price. He's already made a way. He's already opened the door. He's already said, whosoever will come. Somebody in this place just needs to get persuaded. That nothing the devil can do will take you out of the hand of God. We are the only ones who can remove ourselves from God's hand. Nothing you have ever done, nothing you have ever said, will ever take you away from God, will take you too far from God. He can always reach you. Like the story of the prodigal son who was feeding the pigs in a far-off country. Someone here this morning just needs to come to themselves. Not looking at anybody. Come to themselves. And realize there's a Father who loves you. There's a Father who's waiting. There's a Father who every day is climbing up to that second story balcony and looking down the dusty road to see if today his son or his daughter is going to come home. He's waiting for somebody to realize that the door is still open. It was never shut in the first place. There is still a path open for you. He's watching and waiting. You know, we're adopted. You're adopted. Turn to the person next to you. Say, I'm adopted. We're adopted. Galatians chapter 4 verse 4. I read it already. This morning it says, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Everyone say adoption. Adoption. Romans chapter 8 verse 15 says, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. You know, I got to thinking about this. You know what's great about adoption? You were chosen. You were chosen. I didn't get to choose Jonathan. I just got what I got. But adoption, adoption means you line up those kids. You read all their files. You read all where they've come from. And you decide, which child am I going to take? God looked at your mistakes. God looked at your failures. God looked at your hang-ups. God looked at your mess-ups. God looked at all the problems and, and the chaos that you've caused yourself and God in your life. And He said, I want that one. I want the troublemaker. 
want the person who's really struggling to understand me. You see, we, we get so caught up with thinking, well, if only I can just look right or, or sound right or, or do the right thing or, or maybe act the right way. And we're like those kids at the orphanage. We, we put on our best clothes and we, we make sure we brush our teeth and we do our hair just right, just hoping that somebody will adopt us. Here comes Jesus saying, I know your heart. I know your mind. I know what you're thinking. I see your thoughts on bed at nighttime when you can't sleep. I see you struggling with those thoughts of doubt. I see you struggling with those thoughts of self-loathing and self-hatred. I see you struggling with those thoughts of insecurity. And here comes Jesus saying, I choose that one. That's the one I want. And there's the devil going, you sure you want that one, Jesus? Look at how they've messed up. Look at all the problems they've caused. Look at how much they failed you. Pick this one. He's much better. No, but Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I want the muck up one. I want the bad kid. I want the one who smokes down the back in the corner of school and doesn't go all the time. I want the mess up. I want the ones who have walked out and failed. You are an orphan created from the chaos of sin. You are born in iniquity. You are unloved, unwanted, and unneeded by the world. And Jesus is there saying, I want you. I love you. I died to be able to adopt you. I care for you. A natural son is born into a loving home. We're not natural. We're adopted. Church, there's victory through Jesus this morning. As our musicians begin to play, I want to open these altars right now. I feel God is tugging on some people's hearts saying, come on, come back to me. Don't worry about all the muck-ups and the mess-ups. You don't have to get right before you come talk to me. But God wants to draw somebody into a deeper relationship this morning.